Before we begin, we would like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation as the traditional custodians of the land on which this work was developed and is presented. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging. Hello and welcome back to The Community Library, a podcast and book club for anyone interested in stories and how and why we tell them. I'm your host, Angowri Rice. And I'm Calliope Rice. The holiday season is upon us, my dear friends, and for my family, this means Christmas. My sister and I love Christmas, um, but we also have very specific tastes about the Christmas-related media that we consume at this time of year. We don't religiously watch Elf or Home Alone or The Grinch every year. We belong in a very special camp of people who like Christmas movies that are not actually that Christmassy. (laughs) So to talk about this, I have brought along my dearest sister, Calliope. She is a popular guest on this podcast. Every time I bring her on, you guys seem to love her. I don't know why. How could they not? So Calliope, uh, without much beating around the bush, do you just want to tell people what our all-time favorite Christmas movie is? It's Die Hard, the classic adventure featuring grit, determination, and explosions. Starring Bruce Willis. Coming to a cinema near you for this Christmas time. Uh, this came out in 1988 and That's it's... so much earlier than I thought. Yeah, it's an action movie starring Bruce Willis. The setup is Bruce Willis plays a New York cop who has just flown to LA to see his wife for the Christmas season and his family. Uh, and he, it's, it's Christmas Eve and he goes to his wife's Christmas party, um, in their big building that they work in. But at this Christmas party, the building is taken over by German terrorists and they are holding everyone at the Christmas party hostage. And Bruce Willis being a police officer, um, obviously decides to take on these 12 German terrorists and kill them one by one and save his wife and all the other hostages uh, at the Christmas party. So It can never be done. It can never be done. All he has is his handgun and uh, no shoes. Um, (laughs) So I think, again, the reason why we love this is because it isn't about the spirit of Christmas and it's an action movie that takes place during Christmas but isn't overly Christmassy and again it it's set in Los Angeles so it's not all um sleigh bells and snow then again re-watching it it's more Christmassy than I thought mm. but yeah not in it's not about the Christmas spirit it's about a New York cop taking down German terrorists which is what we all want to see on Christmas arguably the best Christmas movie ever made so to begin with we should talk about the overall narrative Do you want to introduce us to why you love this story so much? Die Hard is just, God, everything you could want. The narrative involves many, many, you know, sort of different issues. It really tackles issues, this film. You've got the need for this marriage, which is broken up by um, Bruce Willis, 
not coming to Los Angeles to support his wife's career. He stays in New York because he's got to put bad guys behind bars. Um, so you've got, first of all, you've got that problem. We've got a falling apart marriage. Problem number one. Problem number two. Alan Rickman's just messing everything up, man. Or arguably he's making everything better, depending on your view of the situation. We have, what is it, 12 terrorists, around 30 hostages, and Bruce Willis has not been found. And he has to fix this. He has to fix this. So we've got the problem of him in the building trying to kill 12 terrorists. Then we've got the whole storyline on the ground. We've got this cop who's no one's taking him seriously. He's trying to fix this. The people in charge are not doing their jobs properly. That's three different things that are going on that that contribute to this narrative. So that's exciting. Well, the thing that I love about Die Hard as an action movie is that you actually have quite a few unexpected things thrown in the plot. The first being this falling apart marriage. The root of the problem being that Bruce Willis is not willing to make sacrifices for his wife's career. He probably feels undermined and emasculated because his wife is suddenly way more successful than him and has this big high-flying job that has taken her away from New York. And he is not willing to accept that and he hasn't been supportive. And he takes that out on her, you know. And I think something that I love about, you know, one of the first scenes where they have a fight um, at the Christmas party is that he regrets it immediately after. As soon as she walks out of the room, he goes, oh my God, I was such an idiot. I shouldn't have said that to her. And throughout the course of him running around the building, you know, down elevator shafts and through scaffolding, He's in contact with this cop on the ground through the radio um, and he says to the cop, he says, you don't need to tell her that I love her. She's heard that a thousand times. You need to tell her that I'm sorry. So what I love I is... Right in the feels. <laughs> what I love about his romantic storyline is that it's not about him wooing this woman or about him like being a big hero. I mean, he is being a big hero, but... The thing that makes him a hero in this marriage is that he recognizes what he has done wrong and apologizes for that and is determined to change. And that is amazing. Wow. Wow. Love it. I mean, we've kind of sidetracked into love story there, but it's okay. Okay. Next unexpected thing. The people dying. Big spoilers here. Sorry. But... The two characters who you immediately expect, at least I expected because I thought this was just, you know, ho-hum, your old action story, oh boy, was I wrong. <laughs> the, two, the two people who you expect to die straight away. One, Argyle, the limo driver, what an icon, first of all, gotta love him. You think, oh my gosh, he's, he's funny, he's fun, he's driving, he doesn't care about anything, he's obviously going to die. He's going to be the sacrificed person who we think, oh no. But no, he makes it to the end and it's amazing and we love to see it. Next, the cop. The, the cop on the ground who answers the call. We think, again, fun-loving, he's helping out, he seems hopeless, another person who's going to die straight away, and he doesn't. And then, and I don't know, I just think that's really nice to subvert the what you expect is going to happen apart from uh the man who is in charge of the company you know the boss of the company who dies right at the beginning apart from him the only people 
who die are people who are actively working against Bruce Willis, which I think is very important that we don't have any um, heart-wrenching sacrifice, sacrificial deaths um, that give us the low point of the film. Wait, there's, there's, there's two. There's two that I've just remembered. The, the guard, the guy on the front desk. Oh, but he's shot straight away and then the guy at the elevators but you know there's no what happens a lot in action movies is that to convey the the scale of these the severity of the situation is innocent bystanders that are just dying that don't really have a storyline but you're just seeing like oh my gosh these are big explosions people are dying and that happens a lot and i don't like it because it always seems a bit unnecessary having this sort of tragedy that is not touched on at all and is not important to the storyline in my opinion yeah what they do frequently is they get you attached to a sympathetic character who is usually um played by a person of color or a woman or a or a young person or an old person like they get you attached to this sympathetic character and then they kill them off uh to to wrench at your heartstrings and to also convey the severity of the situation but I I really like that Die Hard doesn't do this I think that's really great because often the characters the sympathetic characters who die they're not the strong white heterosexual buff men like Bruce Willis there's actually a very interesting uh, variety article that I'll link in the show notes that talks about how certain groups of people are overly represented in terms of characters who get killed off in film and television. And they talk about how, you know, people of color, LGBTQ characters are often the ones who are killed off to make the the leading man who's usually white and heterosexual um very sad and progress his story. So I'll have that linked in the show notes if you want to read more about that. But the point is that I I like how Die Hard doesn't do this. Okay, moving on. Mm. Good point. I really like how, although, you know, Bruce Willis should have died so many times and he doesn't, and, you know, he he overcomes everything. He you see him a lot in moments of of pain and and um He's just done. Man, he's done. He's been put through the ringer and you really see him in moments of vulnerability like when he's pulling the glass out of his foot, he's he thinks he he genuinely thinks he's going to die. And he calls up the guy on the ground and says, you know, again, tell my wife I said sorry because he genuinely does not think he's going to make it out of there. And I think that's another thing you don't often see with action films is that real sense of vulnerability with the main hero. And we see it again once he's obviously saved the day (laughs) spoilers but he does save the day when he's on the ground and he sees he finally sees the police officer who's been helping him on the ground this whole time and he cries and it's it's really great because it's yeah you don't have that um he really like leans into that vulnerability um as opposed to that constant stoicism and that vulnerability isn't isn't used in a way that like oh no this is his breaking point like this is so bad how is he he's got to like pull it back from this it's like no this is true vulnerability and that is okay to show because um he's literally just saved a building from attack and explosions okay now we can move on dialogue oh boy this oh the one-liners in this film 
so quotable, so incredibly quotable. You've got the Yippie Kaye, absolutely classic. He won't, be he won't be joining us for the rest of his life. Oh my god. Okay, sidetrack. Alan Rickman's performance in this is incredible. Come to the coast. We'll get together. Have a few laughs. I mean, come on. He's a New York cop. They lean into that so much with his his sarcasm, his sarcasm, his dry sense of humor. Welcome to the party, pal. Yes, this one is what I was thinking of. Now I have a machine gun. Ho, ho, ho. (laughs) Ah, I mean, that's the thing. This movie is not about the monologues. It is not about, you know, long dialogue scenes. Um, It's about the action and it's about one-liners. And they deliver on both of those things. You have these great one-liners that I think are delivered with this certain sense of like um of self-awareness so it's not always totally serious when john mcclane says yippee motherfuckers it's not like contrary to what you might believe or might remember it's not yelled with like machine guns blaring it's when he's talking to the lead german terrorist on the um on the walkie-talkie and at the end he's just like Yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. Because, because Hans Gruber calls him a cowboy. He's like another another great line when he's talking about how he Bruce Willis thinks he's some some American cowboy from all the action films, and it's like you're not that, you're not this. And he's like, well, yes, I am. And and yeah, it's it's oh, gives me chills. Yeah, Bruce Willis de- delivers every uh, one liner that could have been cheesy and. Um, serious and heroic with like a little hint of cheek like like he's playing along because he knows yeah he's he knows he is playing the character of the guy who's saving the day and we really see that contrasted with when he feels like he's lost all hope and he's in the bathroom and he's suddenly um he's suddenly not delivering these witty one-liners because he's he doesn't want to put on the show anymore um but he yeah something I love about about both the hero and the antagonist in this action movie is that they both have such a flair for theatrics. I think this really plays into, segueing into our next um, discussion point, special effects. Because the special effects in this movie um, are, first of all, brilliant. (laughs) Brilliant, like just blowing shit up and it's great. But also very theatrical, you know, in the way that people die and in the way that the the action sequences are choreographed they are going for some sense of realism I guess but it's very heightened and dramatic I think also something I love is in a movie when you get shot I mean I guess this is 1988 so you'd expect it but if you watch modern action films they are all using CGI for the blood because it's it's cheaper it's easier if you can why not it's cleaner you can reset straight away but in this film there's a lot of blood (laughs) which is kind of gross and violent but I think it really adds to it when in the gunfights when they have the actual the real fake blood squirting I think it really adds to it I also like how they totally play into what the audience wants and they are very theatrical and you know when it's coming when you know they throw something and they're looking down the elevator shaft where he's just thrown a bunch of explosives and you just think I know what's coming it's fire and then they just deliver it 
perfectly because they know why you're watching it it's for the excellent action and the special effects and they totally deliver yeah in a very theatrical way not in a way that like oh my god these explosions man they're like so real this is really dangerous but in a way that's just like yes I love to see the entire top of a building explode into flames (laughs) shall we talk about music yeah because what I noticed re-watching this yesterday yes we watched it yesterday (laughs) It was December 1st. It's December 1st. Of course we watched Die Hard on December 1st. So here I'm going to talk about diegetic and non-diegetic music. So diegetic music means that it is in the world of the story. So for example, if you see a character dancing to a song on the radio, the song on the radio is diegetic because it's in the world and the characters can hear that music too. Non-diegetic music is something like a film score where we as the audience can hear this film score and it heightens our experience of the scene, but the characters can't hear the swelling music when they kiss. In Die Hard, we have a combination of diegetic and non-diegetic music. But the fascinating thing is that the non-diegetic music, so the film score, actually uses Christmas music. Like the whole time. The whole time. The whole time it's just Christmas music. So when we see Hans Gruber, played by Alan Rickman, brilliant performance, the evil villain, you know, walking in and he's like being evil, you have in the music score a Christmas carol played in a minor key to make it more dramatic. It's it's actually brilliant genius. filmmaking. <laughs> also, shout out to Alan Rickman's squad because that shot of them all walking in with his, like, it's amazing. It's such a great shot. Money shot right there. Me and the girls rolling up to the club, <laughs> yes. be like. <laughs> so I think that's what really makes this a Christmas movie is that you have Christmas music throughout the entire thing. And also at the end, you know, they play, what do they play at the end? Oh, they're outside is frightful. Let it snow. At the end, they play Let It Snow as part of the film score. But also, you know, diegetically within the world of the film, you have Christmas music playing in the background. You have characters humming Christmas music. Like literally when they're breaking into the safe, Alan Rickman is humming a Christmas song. This, oh my God, I love it so much. In other news, the set is, it's a Christmas party. It's set at an office Christmas party. You have Santas, you have a ginormous Christmas tree. That very much contributes to the Christmasiness of it. I think the set decoration. And also the fact that they reference Christmas in the script. All the time. time. Like everybody is well aware that it's Christmas Eve. Um, He references it in his little quips Again, as we mentioned, when he kills that first guy and he writes on his shirt, now I have a machine gun, ho, ho, ho. (laughs) And he puts a Santa hat on him. Um, So it's very much like in the dialogue. And like everyone working on the ground is like, oh my God, Christmas Eve, like it's Christmas. We can't shut down the power. It's Christmas. And yeah. And at its core, this story is not about explosions. It's not about machine guns. It's not about German terrorists. It's not about, um, you know, blowing up a big uh, office building. And it's not about Bruce Willis being a hero for the sake of being a hero. It's just about a man who wants to get home to his children for Christmas. That's what it is. That's all it is. It's a very simple story. And that is why it is a Christmas movie. So on a scale, so out of like, out of 12 Christmas trees... 
Why 12? 12 days of Christmas. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> this is so weird. Duh. Obviously. <laughs> the, obviously. Okay, out of, what is it, 12, 12 maids of milking? 12, it's five ten. gold rings. It's, ten, it's 10 drummers drumming. 10 drummers drumming, 11 dancers dancing. I think it's actually nine maids of milking. Hang on. Let me Google this. 12 drummers, 11. Oh, oh okay. We were like way off. Okay. <laughs> So it's 12 drummers dr drumming, 11 pipers piping, 10 lords are leaping, 9 ladies dancing, 8 maids are milking. I thought there were way more maids milking. <laughs> 7 swans. that would just be too many <laughs> There would maids. just be too many maids milking. And think about it. That's a eight, cow as well. That's, that's 8 yeah. women plus 8 cows. It's true. Unless you've got 2 women per cow. I don't think you can milk the cow twice at the same time though. There are 4 teats on the udder well, so, so, you so can you have two I don't know farmers let me know uh, seven swans are swimming six geese are laying five gold rings four calling birds three french hens two turtle doves and a partridge in a petri in case you wanted that cleared up by us and not Google. <laughs> but here's the thing right it's what, really what just are we talking about? <laughs> no before before we get into like our rank before we get back to the actual episode that we're actually doing it's just it's really actually not 12 different things it's just a hell of a lot of birds yeah, no, it's just it a lot of birds as displayed in the office christmas episode when andy um gifts all of these things to erin excellent episode and i think a real you know slap in the face about what this song is really about <laughs> Birds. <laughs> it's just about birds. <laughs> that's that's a partridge, two doves, three hens, uh, that's ten four birds. calling birds. So that's ten birds. Oh, just sixteen with the geese. That's sixteen birds. That's sixteen birds. No, plus the seven swans, which oh, is twenty-one. That's twenty-one birds. That's so many birds. Which is a lot of birds. And I don't know about you, but like geese and like swans, geese and swans are terrifying if they decide to chase you, which they do sometimes also are turtle doves just pigeons i don't know probably not anyway on a scale from a partridge in a pear tree to 12 drummers drumming what level of christmasiness is die hard i'm gonna say 10 lords are leaping because we've just discussed it's very christmasy it's not an 11 it's not pipers piping or drummers drumming because it's not about the Christmas spirit like the Grinch or the Polar Express. It doesn't end with, and this is what Christmas is about and this is the Christmas spirit and we have to find that spirit within ourselves. It's not. It's about a guy in a building with machine guns set on Christmas with very heavily, heavily referencing Christmas throughout the story, but it's not about people's views of Christmas. That's my final answer. Ten lords are leaping. I would actually give it 11 pipers piping. Ooh. I know. Controversial. But I think it's because, like, if you had asked me this before we rewatched it yesterday, I would have said, like, nine ladies dancing. But after rewatching it, noticing all the references to Christmas in the dialogue and the music, the literal Christmas music, 
I think it's a solid 11 pipers piping. And the only reason it doesn't get a 12 drummers drumming is because it's not about the true meaning of Christmas. But also maybe it is. May- the, the true meaning of Christmas is getting home to your family. Yeah, but it's not, um, it's not a carrying theme throughout the whole movie. Like that's not what everyone's searching for. Mm. It's it's not his motivation. His motivation is literally just to survive. But his motivation is to also save his wife so that he can go home with his wife to his kids for Christmas. Yes. So So in conclusion, uh, Die Hard is objectively the best Christmas movie. Um, Don't bother with the second one. Don't bother with... (laughs) Calabi and I watched the second one. It also takes place on Christmas, on Christmas Eve at an airport. It's much less Christmassy, actually. I would not say that Die Hard 2 is a Christmas movie. But it takes place on Christmas. Yeah, but it's not. Okay. Well, that's obviously a discussion for another time. If you liked this episode, um, then maybe next year we will analyze Die Hard 2 uh, <laughs> for Christmas. Um, but thank you so much for joining me, Calliope. It's been great to talk about christmas and die hard with you thank you the audience for listening if you want to hear more you can subscribe on itunes or spotify if you like calliope i have a few more episodes with her that i will link in the show notes but most importantly i hope you are having a good holiday season uh whether you celebrate christmas or not um i hope you're taking some time off around the new year and uh hopefully giving die hard a watch yes This has been very fun. I always love to talk about Die Hard whenever the situation arises. So thank you for having me. Bye. Bye. Bye.